Welcome to the future. You're listening to the Consensus Network. Consensus Network. Consensus Network. With Buck Joffrey. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with Consensus Network. Uh, this is the podcast for your cryptocurrency education and news matters. Uh, I want to point out uh, first, before we get uh, in much detail here, that uh, if you go to consensusnetwork.io, uh, make sure to sign up for our newsletter there. Also, check out the tutorials if you are sort of new to this world of, of cryptocurrency and blockchain. If you want to learn a little bit, you're ready to maybe buy some Bitcoin or whatever, you can do that. You can learn to trade a little bit. Uh, and finally, I also want to point out that there's another podcast that I do called Wealth Formula. So if you're one of those people who's been lucky enough to be in Bitcoin, you know, for several years and have made a ton of money and you want to figure out how in the world you can invest that money now or how you should uh, think about it, uh, Wealth Formula podcast would be a good one for you. Now, this week's uh, episode of Consensus Network builds off of last week's introduction that I did as a solo uh, and and it's really, again, just building on these fundamentals of Bitcoin blockchain and distributed ledger technology and, and cryptocurrency, all these things that uh, make up this new world. And so we're going to keep pounding at that stuff. And if you've not listened uh, or watched that last show yet, make sure to do that. Uh, and in this one, we've got an interview with one of my favorite uh, people in this area, Tika Tawari. He's the editor of of a cryptocurrency newsletter called Palm Beach Confidential, to which I'm a subscriber. Tika's a, a, a really a good guy. He is a very smart guy, as you're going to hear. And this interview was really a lot of fun. I was really amazed at how much material we actually covered. And this it's a little bit longer. It's about an hour, but you'll be amazed at how much we covered. We really started from the basics, and then we dove uh, deep on topics like Bitcoin, um, you know, what exactly smart contracts are. And then we got a good sense of what the smart money, you know, institutional investors in Wall Street, you know, how they're viewing this new asset class and how that could potentially affect, you know, all of us, I mean, who are, are already in this um, this world even before they are. So anyway, I hope you enjoy it. And when we come back, uh, the interview I did with Tika Tawari. Now, there isn't much more exciting than cryptocurrency, but there are old-fashioned ways of creating wealth outside of Wall Street that have been used by the wealthiest families in the world for generations. And that's what my other podcast is all about. It's called Wealth Formula Podcast. Now, if you've made a lot of money in crypto and don't know what to do next, this show might actually answer a lot of those questions, too. Again, it's Wealth Formula Podcast with me, Buck Joffrey. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, today, my guest is Tika Tawari. Now, there are a lot of scam artists in the crypto world, um, people who are just interested in stealing your money, sort of like Wall Street, I guess, but uh, not as well-dressed sometimes. So trying to learn about blockchain, distributed ledgers, cryptocurrency, all this stuff is not always that easy. But one of the people who I've come to know, like, and trust enough to follow closely um, is Tika Tawari. 
Uh, Tika is a guy with a lot of integrity. He is the editor of uh, the Palm Beach Confidential Newsletter, which is a cryptocurrency-based newsletter uh, that provides education and news uh, from the crypto world, along with some useful investing recommendations as well. Of course, uh, there's lots of people doing uh, what Tika is doing, but he's different. You know, he's a he's a guy. He's a former Wall Street guy, the youngest vice president in Lehman Brothers history, and a former hedge fund manager who is now dedicated full time to learning and teaching about this new technology and how to invest in it. There really is no one better to learn about blockchain from Tika. So it's really my pleasure to have him on the show today. Welcome, Tika Tawari. It's great to be here. Thank you for the invite. So I want to, uh, Tika, I want to start with the basics because this is a, uh, you know, this is a show that will kind of become increasingly sophisticated over time. But I'm trying to onboard people and make sure that we get uh, that when people start searching for podcasts and information about that, there's a way to start. So if you don't mind, we're going to start fairly basic. Now, I know we've talked several times before, um, but let's let's start with the, the, the beginning. There is this paper that came out some years ago by a, a group or a guy or somebody named Satoshi Nakamoto. What was the big deal? What was the significance of that paper? The significance of that paper was it, it describes a way that you could have an environment where people could transact things of value without having to rely on a third party. So the, the paper created the blockchain and the blockchain is something that creates trust without having to rely on trust. And so what does that mean? Well, in a traditional environment, we have to trust uh, that the, the banks aren't lying about uh, what's on their ledger. So let's say I have $100 in, in, in the bank. I have to trust that the bank isn't going to say, oh, no, Tiki, you only have $75. Here, look, here are our records. You, we're showing you what you actually have, right? So the whole banking system relies on, on trust. There's never been a way where individuals could transact with one another um, in an environment that didn't require a trusted middleman. Right. So, so the blockchain has done away with that. Now, now, how has it done that? It's done that through a process that's called a consensus. So what does that mean? Well, imagine you have this ledger of all these different uh, transactions, uh, the same way that you would have in a bank. A bank keeps a ledger of all their customers, all the money that they have. And then when a transaction comes in, either adding money or taking money away, it adjusts that ledger. But that ledger is only sitting in that bank. There's no third party way to say that what they're doing uh, is accurate or that it's not being tampered with. The beauty about the blockchain is, is that you have thousands of computers all maintaining an exact copy of the same ledger. Now that by itself is not very interesting. Okay, so what? You've got you know 5,000 computers and they all have the same copy of the same ledger. How is that interesting? What's interesting about that is, is in order for new information to be added to that ledger, let's say uh, you and I do a transaction uh, and that is now a new piece of information. It's going to change what I have in my account. It's gonna change what you have in your account. Um, so we 
we put this, we, we, you and I come to an agreement, we're going to do this transaction. This now gets sent to the blockchain. The blockchain uh, checks not only its copy of the ledger, but all the copies of the ledger. And it says, okay, Buck wants to sell, Tika wants to buy, uh, Tika has enough money to buy, Buck has enough, the, the, thing, the thing that he wants to sell, he actually owns. And so it allows the transaction. And so it, it does that by reaching what's called consensus. It asks all these other computers, hey, check your ledger. Is this, is this right? Does Buck have this? Does Tika have that? And if 51% of the, of the computers agree, they say, yeah, that, that our ledger says the same thing, then the transaction goes through. And that's called reaching consensus. And so the beauty of that is it allows you to have uh, an environment where, where value can be transacted without relying on a, on a central third party. So they call that creating a trustless environment. And, and that is something that has never existed in human commerce, ever. It is as transformational as double book entry accounting. When this whole thing started, and I'm referring to the Satoshi Nakamoto paper, and that specifically was uh, regarding the Bitcoin blockchain. And the that paper specifically addressed the problem that you're talking about, which is money, digital money, right? Mm -hmm. And um, And so, to the extent that, you know, people, I remember the first time I started hearing about this, I said, well, we have PayPal. I mean, we have, we have uh, all these other ways that we can transact over the internet. But in reality, all we really did was pull off uh, everyday transactions with a central authority and create, um, you know, figure out a way to do that online. We never really had a way to completely pull out that middleman. And so, the initial idea here was to create, you know, effectively money for the internet, right? It's almost sort of incomplete. The internet is incomplete without this component. Co correct. And I, I would say uh, this is a, a, a big thing people talk about, you know, as comparing it to PayPal, which I know you're not doing, but I want to create this distinction. PayPal is a payment system. It's a payment processor, and it's an excellent payment processor. Bitcoin is a number of things. Bit Bitcoin, yes, is a, is a payment system, it's a payment processor. But what Bitcoin really is, is it's its own independent monetary authority. Think about it like a central bank that works on a very strict series of rules that are completely inflexible. Right? So we, we trust the central bank, the Federal Reserve, that they won't abuse their ability to print paper money. But of course, they abuse them. Every central bank does. The beauty about Bitcoin is uh, the rules say that you it can only um, disperse 21 million Bitcoins over the next 120 uh, years or so. So it has this set hard cap on it that can't be changed. And also, unlike traditional currency, uh, it can't be uh, uh, it can't be duplicated and it can't be counterfeited. So Bitcoin is really is multiple things in one. It's a monetary authority. It's a payment platform. It can be used as a messaging system. It can be used as a way to archive very important data that you need to make tamper proof. And this is where a lot of people struggle with the idea of Bitcoin because they think just because you can't go 
and do a micro transaction with Bitcoin, it doesn't have any value. That's like saying, I can't haul my camper with my Ferrari, so the Ferrari is worthless. Right. So just, you know, I think that some of the key words as a summary, I think, for what we're talking about in this case is that this blockchain is immutable. It means you can't go back and change what's already been done. You can add to it, but you can't go back and change what's been done. It's decentralized, meaning there's not one central authority. It is peer-to-peer. What that means is it may seem simple, but it's not. I mean, this is a every transaction we make in the ordinary world, the fiat world, the world that we're used to, requires a, a third party to to uh, legitimize that transaction, and this is a peer to peer thing. Um, one of so is um, this is a question I think that comes up a lot, and it's an argument that the uh, People against Bitcoin and, uh, say all the time, uh, they say Bitcoin. You can't. This is this is a uh, inefficient system. Uh, it's not. It's you can't possibly use it in day to day transactions because it takes so long. It's expensive. Is Bitcoin currency or is it a storage of value or is it both or how do you see this now and how do you see it evolving? So my answer to that is yes. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yes, it is a currency and it is a store of value. As a currency, it's not very good for small, low-value transactions. Um, but again, I don't think it ever needs to be in order for it to be valuable. Remember, here in the Western world, Buck, we've got a, a pretty good uh, financial system. Dollars work very well. It's very convenient for you to use dollars or for you to use a traditional payment system like Visa or MasterCard. Uh, but that isn't true in the rest of the world, uh, where, where money is, is very difficult to move. Um, uh, so I think Bitcoin as a, as a currency probably has more value in other countries like Venezuela, uh, Sudan, Iran. Uh, uh, there's a reason why in Iran right now, Bitcoin costs $24,000 a Bitcoin. Right? Because their uh, their currency has completely collapsed. So, um, but what I will say is that there is technology underway right now that will enable Bitcoin to scale. And I'm, I'm referring to the Lightning Network. And the Lightning Network allows you to have the safety and the security uh, that Bitcoin offers, uh, but it will it will allow you to do micro transactions at a cost that are virtually free and enable you to do thousands of transactions per second. And so the big, uh, the lightning network right now is in uh, beta. It's probably going to be in beta for a little while. There's still some uh, things that need to be ironed out, but the idea that Bitcoin is going to stay static, I think is a wrongheaded idea. Bitcoin is a technology and technologies evolve. The other thing that I will say is that even if it never made financial sense for you to use Bitcoin in microtransactions like buying coffee, Bitcoin is still immensely valuable, immensely more valuable than where it is today. It does not need the widespread adoption of everyday daily use for its value to uh, increase exponentially. One of the things that I always think is funny about that, and and Tika, we, you know, we we go to some of the same meetings uh, that are not blockchain related, and I, I see you literally on the stage with people who are, 
you know, gold bugs, et cetera. And I can't figure out why they can't figure out the value of, of, of Bitcoin because, you know, they're one of the arguments always being, well, you, you can't use this for day-to-day transactions. I don't see anybody using bars <laughs> of gold for day-to-day <laughs> transactions, right? I mean, literally, right. it's, a, it's a very similar concept, but presumably it's actually quite a bit easier to pay somebody in Bitcoin than a, in a bar of gold. But it is, is, is a very similar thing. There's a finite amount, and there is even uh, this concept of mining, what is it just just as a, a little bit you mentioned that there will only be 21 million bitcoin ever right. how how does that happen how does uh, you know so and what this is, a, so this is a great question it's yeah. a i'm going to try and keep it as simple as possible so in a, in a traditional fiat money world we have a central authority called a central bank that issues currency and there's no limit on how much currency they, they can issue Right. And there's no cost to the issuance. They press a button and they create money out of thin air. So Bitcoin is a little bit different. How do you create new Bitcoins? Well, every 10 minutes, uh, the Bitcoin protocol issues a a very complicated problem. It's a mathematical problem. And there are thousands of miners. These are the people that are, are in this competition to solve this problem. And whoever solves the problem first, they get a reward. They get a certain amount of Bitcoins. And that's how new Bitcoins are issued. Now, one of the side effects of competing to solve this problem is that you are in fact helping to secure the entire network, right? This this is what creates security in the network. It's a byproduct of the mining Uh, process. And so when you successfully solve that problem, you have won the right to uh, add the next block of information. And and so transactions are are correlated in 10-minute blocks. So every 10 minutes, the previous transactions are added to a block of information and then are written uh, to the blockchain. So then you you get a reward, which right now is 12 and a half Bitcoins. And you also get all the transaction fees that occurred uh, in that in that block. And then after ten minutes, the race starts all over again. So this is a, a, a such a brilliant design. Whoever and whoever Satoshi Nakamoto is or was or whoever the group was, this was a brilliant way to harness uh, social dynamics, uh, greed, uh, in in a way to uh, secure this network. And so one of the questions I get a lot is, well, when the, when the 21 million Bitcoins have all been issued, which is again, not for another 120 years or so, uh, what will motivate the miners to continue providing this function? And what, uh, what will do that is other fees, because you know, when there are no more Bitcoins, the, the general idea is, is that Bitcoin will be so widespread and so, wide used, so widely used uh, the fees will be dramatic and more than pay for the computational resources required to secure the network. But wouldn't that then require that? It, and that, that, by the way, I'm glad you mentioned that because I've always thought that's one of the unsolved questions in my mind is what happens after the 21 million are issued? You no longer have proof of work to do. There's no work to do. But 
what is so when you what what it would be the incentive wouldn't that almost be a centralized kind of force then if you were like no a, you, you still have you'll still have proof of work but the prize won't be more bitcoins the prize will be the transaction will fees. be the transaction fees got it got it so it wouldn't be a proof of stake suddenly that was the other thing no. i was thinking is yeah that okay let's uh what let let's shift gears a little bit because there are also these things called altcoins blockchain is is um is the technology bitcoin is one of the uh blockchains out there um mm -hmm. and i should also point out because you know there are other technologies that um that are coming through the pipeline that there are other kinds of distributed ledgers other than blockchain there but right now there are several blockchains and other kinds of distributed ledgers yeah bitcoin remains dominant uh when it comes to market capitalization what's going on with that right now is there uh is it it's a little bit of the wild west right i mean so how do what are altcoins and how does that all fit into this picture and and why is bitcoin still so dominant if there's so many other potential projects that could be more efficient so an altcoin is the name given to any coin that is other than Bitcoin. It's, it's short for alternative. Um, so uh, again, this is a question that I get a lot. You, you know, how can Bitcoin have value? There are 1,500 other coins that do the exact same thing. Well, there are 1,500 other coins. I would say many of them, probably 85% of them, are probably fraudulent. There's an enormous amount of fraud in this space. Mm -hmm. Uh, as there typically is in any new um, any new space. Um, the other thing that I would say is is that it's a mistake to think that all coins do the same thing. Remember, we're talking about software, so different software does different things. So when people say, uh, I read this a lot in the New York Times, um, uh, they talk about uh, Bitcoin rival Ethereum is up or Bitcoin rival Ethereum is down. Saying that Bitcoin and Ethereum are rivals is like saying that IBM and Ford are rivals, right? right. They're not. Right. They're right. Two, they do two totally different things. And so um, the good projects that are out there are attacking a very specific problem uh, with a very, uh, and a very specific niche. So I'll, I'll give you the breakdown between Ethereum and Bitcoin. So they're the two biggest coins. Bitcoin is the world's most secure way to uh, send, store, and secure value and information. There is no other more secure uh, 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 database, bank, financial system anywhere in the world. It doesn't, I don't care what government you are. I don't care what bank you are. Bitcoin is the world's most secure place to store value. It's also one of the most easy places to move value. Uh, and that, that makes it incredibly valuable. It does that very, very well. Um, Ethereum is something completely different. Ethereum is an operating system, the way that um, Microsoft DOS is an operating system or Android or iOS is an operating system. It's an operating system that developers use to build applications on that use the blockchain, right? So Ethereum and Bitcoin could not be more different. Now, yes, people have used Ether tokens as a form of money, 
but people use stock as a form of money. They, they, they convert it into cash and they buy stuff with it. They borrow against stock and buy stuff with it. So, I mean, Ether is in that respect, you know, very similar. Um, so, and in terms of other coins that are out there, so another coin that I've talked about publicly before, which I'm okay talking about with here, is, a, is a Dash. So people say, well, you know, why do we need Bitcoin if we have Dash? Or why do we need Dash if we have Bitcoin? You know, Dash does something a little bit differently. Dash is focused on solving a lot of uh, Bitcoin's problems around payments. Dash allows you to process a payment instantly. Dash allows you to remain completely um, uh, uh, confidential in your dealings, uh, whereas the Bitcoin network doesn't. It only has pseudo-anonymity, whereas Dash has complete anonymity. So uh, again, I would agree, yes, there are many Me Too cryptocurrencies out there that, are, that should be worthless, but then there are others that are uh, attacking very important spaces and uh, uh, really providing solutions to very important issues. I think you, you raise a couple of points that I think are important to emphasize. And one is that, you know, Bitcoin, at least for right now, I know there are some um, some other potential uses for the blockchain, but really this was designed as money, right? Bitcoin was designed as, as money or storage of value. Mm -hmm. Then Ethereum comes along, and really the idea here, what, what I think one of the um, big things with Ethereum was the idea... Uh, I think is which is which is seismic in its uh, you know its its value is the idea of a smart contract. Can you talk a little bit about the smart contract and the significance of that? Because I think that's one of the things to me that you know when you look at all these industries that currently have you know require middlemen, whether it's a title company or you know. Uh, social media or, you know, Uber, or all these, they require that middleman. And the smart contract is that way potentially to create, you know, systems that are peer-to-peer -peer and businesses that are peer-to-peer. -peer. Right. This, this is why Vitalik Buterin, the creator of Ethereum, is so brilliant. He, he was the guy that really took the, the original idea of the smart contract, which was first proposed by Nick Szabo a, a long time ago. Um, and actually created a way that we could use it. So what is a smart contract? It, it's, it, it's the same as a regular contract. It basically puts into code that if a certain series of conditions are met, then the code will do this. And so it's a way that, um, it's a way that you can do uh, transactions uh, uh, without having, again, a middleman or without having to re rely on, on a lawyer. And, and it really is a transformational idea. There are so many different applications being built around the smart contract uh, concept. Now, smart contracts are still very new. They still have a lot of problems. Let me be very clear with everybody. Sure. I mean, they get hacked constantly because um, th there just aren't that many really good smart contract programmers. Uh, but the technology uh, is extremely promising. Over time, I think it's going to get better. I think the programming is going to get better. The quality of programming is going to get better. And I think smart contracts are something that we will see a massive proliferation of in the future. Nick Zabo explained it in, in, uh, in a way that I thought the first time I really understood it. 
He said the simplest, the simplest smart contract is simply just a vending machine, right? It's a right. contract between you and, and a program, basically. You put in money, uh, and you receive your candy bar, or you receive your soda or whatever, and if you pay too much, you get this, uh, you know, the software automatically puts money back uh, into your pocket. So it does not require somebody to stand there and, and create this sort of... Uh, transaction and so to me that's so powerful because now you're like okay well hey why do we need uber i mean why can't we just have a smart contract out there where there's a contract between you know individuals who have um you know who need a ride and people who have a car and or or in in the energy sector people who produce energy uh, versus people who are uh, need energy so so this to me is one of the most uh, dramatic things out there hi there this is phil from consensus network this interview is going fantastic but it is going a little long so we are going to have to cut it short and release part two of this interview in the next episode of consensus network now stay tuned for the q a Want to buy Bitcoin with your IRA? Don't waste your time on expensive IRA custodians. A strategy called a QRP is as easy as writing a check. Find out how. Text 44222 and type QRP book. That's one word. And get a free book that explains everything. Again, that's 44222 QRP book. One word. It's the easiest way to make Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies part of your retirement. Okay, welcome back, uh, everyone, and I uh, hope you enjoyed that. I'm sure you enjoyed that. If you like, if you didn't enjoy that particular interview, then you're probably just not even going to get any. You're probably not going to like cryptocurrency in general. Um, you know, just talking to Tika every time, I'm just uh, I get more and more pumped up about being in this this space, and um, so hopefully you enjoyed it. So. Uh, with this next section, what I'd like to do is I'd, I'd like to answer some of your questions. So we're going to go to that. Now, I want to point out that uh, you can go to consensusnetwork.io and ask your questions. You can also uh, email your questions at info at consensusnetwork.io. Actually, if you go to the website, you can record your questions, which actually I think would be more fun because I'd rather play your voice and have you on the show that way. But um, this week, it looks like everybody was a little shy. So that's okay, too. So we've got a couple questions. I'm going to start with uh, Justin. Justin is one of our, I know, is a listener and active member of our Wealth Formula podcasting community. But Justin asked me, uh, maybe this is a dumb question, but I'll ask anyways. I really don't understand why there's so much extreme volatility in this space. From a technical standpoint, how can the price of Bitcoin and other altcoins rise and fall by 10 and 20% in a matter of hours? Exclamation point. Does the utility usage of said coin really change that much in a short uh, time span? Is this the result hyper-emotional speculation uh, investing? I've never come across someone that can articulate this well to me. Uh, what are your thoughts, Buck? So these are this is a really good question, Justin. In fact, you know, I talked to Tika about this um, in one of the interviews that we did on Wealth, Wealth Formula, and there's there's a lot of things that result in the kind of volatility. The 
The big thing to remember here is that the entire market capitalization for the cryptocurrency market is only about $240 billion, right? So what does that mean? Well, Apple and Amazon are about a trillion dollars each in terms of their market capitalization. So in other words, right now, the total amount of money in all cryptocurrencies combined is smaller than Amazon. It's smaller than Apple. That's tiny, right? So what happens is part of the volatility comes from the fact that the market is so small. So if you have one of these quote-unquote whales uh, comes in and dumps uh, dumps a bunch of, of Bitcoin on the market. In fact, we just saw that uh, this week with with uh, somebody from the uh, from Mount Gox. That's another story entirely. Um, some uh, one of the uh, people who was controlling the Bitcoin there, and they dumped I think like something like I don't know twenty one thousand Bitcoin or something like that, and the market immediately plummeted by about four percent. Well. So as the market gets bigger, as this market goes from $240 billion to 2 or $3 trillion to 5 or $10 trillion, what we would expect is for these, um, these, you know, these sales of the assets to make less of an overall impact in the market uh, as a whole. I mean, if you can imagine, you know, right now, you know, you if you put a a, a drip of water, uh, if you put a drip of water uh, into a small cup, you know the, the the you'll have ripples across the entire little cup of water. But if you put that same uh, drop of water into a lake or an ocean, you're not going to do anything, right? And that's that's the way I think is the smart way to view this. The other thing I will tell you is that I think. There is, there certainly is some level of price manipulation in this market still, but hey, there's still there's there's that in the uh, you know crypto there's in the non crypto markets as well. It's just that again because it's small, you see it very very quickly. You know the utility usage of the coin does it change that much in a short uh, period of time? Absolutely not. Again, right now, this is a highly speculative market. Not only in the sense that it's, you know, people are just you know gambling because most of what people invest in or buy, they have no idea what it is. But it's also speculative in the sense that for the most part, there's not a lot of projects that are actually mature, right? They're, they're not really mature. So you're not really buying uh, projects. You're just speculating on projects. So, so there's, it, it is emotional. Uh, there's a lot of there's uh, you know it's also primarily still real uh, uh, um, what we would call retail investors. There's not as much big institutional money there that that's not going to react emotionally as much. And then the last thing I'll say is that um, you know one of the things that really starts helping these markets stabilize too, uh, for better or for worse, are some of the robo trades and things like that right now there's you know the 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 markets are the bitcoin market at least in particular is actually relatively stable compared to what i've seen and that's because you know the arbitrage from one marketplace to another has really uh that that the differences in price of bitcoin across different market uh marketplaces has been um significantly reduced by robots etc so 
Um, that's a long-winded answer, but I think the, the the best answer is it's an immature market that's small, and as it gets uh, bigger, as smarter money enters the market, it should become less volatile, and um, at least for Bitcoin, first and for, foremost. I mean, listen, the rest of the market's like penny stocks. Penny stocks are volatile, too. So, Next question <clears throat> from Amy. The question's, I have a pension plan uh, for my C-Corp. I'd like to dump my gold and silver ETFs in the pension plan and buy some cryptos. Do you have any suggestions on how to go about this? I asked an advisor that set it up the plan for me, and he didn't know much about the crypto world and suggested I needed a broker to do this. What do you say? So good question, Amy. Um, here's what I'll tell you. I think the challenge is what you're talking about here is you have what sounds like a defined benefit plan inside of a C-Corp. And the answer on your to your question is it really depends. It depends whether that defined benefit plan is, um, if it's eligible for a rollover uh, into something that you can self-direct and, and invest things like, through, you know, via checkbook type style thing. And um, that's not really something I am a, a, a specialist on, in particular when it comes to pension plans uh, and C-Corps. But I would highly recommend that you reach out to um, my friend Damian Lupo. Um, he is uh, he's the one behind this idea of the QRP. And if you're curious what this is all about, uh, you can get that book that he has on this at um, by texting 44222 and typing um, QRP book as one word. But basically the QRP is um, something that we've been talking a lot about on the other podcasts where we invest in real estate, et cetera. But it's a really nice option because what it does is it gives you eff effectively checkbook control of your you know, your defined benefit plan or your IRA or whatever it is. Um, and it doesn't require a custodian. So literally you're in charge. And if you do that, uh, if you can get control of your defined benefit plan um, through one of these rollover plans, then you would be able to buy uh, into, uh, buy into, um, you know, buy Bitcoin or, or Ethereum or whatever directly. A couple other ideas there. Obviously, the ETF uh, itself is not an option yet. We're still waiting to see what happens there uh, with the um, with the uh, Chicago Board of Options and Exchange, uh, and um, and there's that seems to be sort of getting punted uh, weekly. But I, I think over, eventually, and I would guess certainly in 2019, there will be some kind of a uh, some kind of a Bitcoin ETF at that time. So that's that's another possibility. Uh, and um, I think that's probably about all I got to say on that. But de definitely contact Damien. Uh, if nothing else, he'll tell you what, you know, he's a smart guy in all of this. And uh, you can, um, you can uh, also, I think he's at Total Control Financial. Yeah, so... Yeah, so look up Total Control Financial. Damien Lupo, L-U-P-O, uh, Total Fi Control Financial. If you want his book, 44222, uh, and that's QRP book, one word. 
Anyway, we'll we'll hit back on uh, you know that concept probably in another uh, podcast when uh, you know when we have somebody who's more eloquent on these matters than me here. We can ask them about that. But uh, I appreciate the question. No, I will. Uh, I would love for you guys to send me more questions because the entire show depends on your questions, right? We're going to do like an interview or whatever we're going to talk about, and then we're going to do questions. So I want to make sure that you remember um, to either email me those at info at consensusnetwork.io or go to consensusnetwork.io and either, you know, leave a written uh, question or even better, go and, and record the voicemail. I think it has a little voicemail tab on the side. You click on that and I would love to have your voice on the show. Um, and with that, I will uh, sign off on this week's episode of Consensus Network. This is Buck Joffrey signing off.